The Rocks to Roots podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Speak Spokane is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, and on their website at speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Hi, and thanks for listening to Rocks to Roots, conservation conversations from the backyard to the back 40, presented by the Spokane Conservation District. I'm Hillary, your host, and this is episode three of season two. If you haven't already, make sure and leave us some feedback in the reviews section. Rocks to Roots is available on all major podcast platforms and on our website, rockstoroots.org. Today, we are joined by Tim Kohlhoff, the Urban Horticulture Coordinator for the WSU Extension here in Spokane. Hi, Tim. Hello. Thanks for having me here. Yes, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. It is that time of the year where any little peak of sunshine that we get, everybody gets starts getting excited, starts thinking about ideas for their yards and getting outside, being with nature. So I'm super excited about what we're going to talk about today. Me too. It's that, as you say, it's anytime the sun comes out, it's like, oh, this is it. It's time. <laughs> yeah. And we've we've already had our first question come into our our plant clinic uh can i plant my tomatoes yet (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) and quick pro tip if there's snow on the ground it's too soon (laughs) if you can't get a shovel in the soil you can't plant them (laughs) too soon too soon (laughs) too soon well um so why don't you just tell us about the wsu extension um urban horticulture department and your current role there okay well so um I'm kind of a, I I listen to some of the other podcasts. And so we're just a little bit different than some of the other parts of extension in that. So like with forestry, when Sean Alexander is here, there's a forestry department in extension and urban horticulture is, is kind of a way of recognizing that people who live in cities really want to be part or uh, uh, connected to nature. Mm -hmm. And so we, we call it urban horticulture, um, and what it really is is a bunch of people who are just really stoked about gardening and, <laughs> and wanting to do our best to get people research-based information. And so I, I wish I had a more formal program that I could describe, but what it really is, uh, uh, about 80% of my job is working with the WSU Master Gardeners here in Spokane County, and that they are a team of volunteers who help out mostly uh, all Uh, homeowners, community gardeners. uh, So they work with people who are not gardening for profit. And then the other part of my job is to work with some of the professionals who are working um, in the, like in the green industry. And so I, I, I help them, but a 
big part of the the job is just working with home gardeners and and I love that that's that's really cool so how did you um, get involved with the extension and what's kind of your background in horticulture and gardening in general <laughs> so I um, this might go back a little too far but I don't know you you were probably not alive yet you're the uh, the Easter Bunny uh, brought flower bulbs instead of candy um, oh. and and left left that in my Easter basket um, and I remember it was the bicentennial 1976 because I got red white and and blue flowers <laughs> and I was uh, traumatized let me tell you at first I was not into the flower bulbs I was like where is the chocolate uh, but I ended up planting and, and growing things. And um, I did it all wrong. Just, you know, nothing grew like it was supposed to. And uh, then I was really curious about, well, what went wrong? And that was sort of where I got hooked, was trying to figure out what went wrong. And I'm still trying to figure it out, what what went wrong. But, <laughs> but if we jump forward to like this century, um, I became a Master Gardener volunteer in the year 2000. And I was, I was really excited to get to share my love of gardening with other people. And then I ended up going to school at uh, Spokane Community College through their degree programs there and, and, um, and became, started working in the green industry, but stayed volunteering as a master gardener. And eventually, as personnel changed at the extension, they asked me to work part-time with them, just helping them diagnose problems uh, that came into our plant clinic diagnosed plant problems, I should say. And then, uh, and then at uh, one point, um, a full-time job came available and I thought, oh my gosh, I've been working there for free all these years. So you want to pay me now? Okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I feel very lucky to have the job I have. And, and I, I tell people that I'm really lucky because my coworkers, the master gardeners come to work for free. And so if they're having a bad day, they might just leave a little bit early instead of having to sit there and and um, and watch the clock so I love that I get all these great people that I get to work with and I get to talk about gardening all day oh that's awesome and so um, we've been talking well we've dropped the master gardeners quite a little bit so um, I want you to talk about that program and how did that program come about um, I know that it's you know heavily volunteer based mm -hmm. um, so yeah I'm just curious about the entire program so um, again, now we're going way, way back. Uh, but in 1973, that was the origin of the Master Gardener program. And it came about because uh, some extension agents, back then we called them extension agents, and now they're called educators. So I, we're very jargon heavy at <laughs> extension, so I'm, I'm going to try and get it right. But uh, back in 1973, there were some extension agents who were a little overwhelmed by the number of questions they were getting from people growing in their backyard and home gardeners. And because they were mostly uh, supposed to help commercial gardeners, but they had all of these people who just needed some, some tips and some growing advice. So they came up with this idea, what if we trained volunteers to do this and they could answer some of these questions or they could interact with the public and then if they didn't know something, they could bring it to us. And it was, a, uh, it was an, an idea that no one thought was going to work. You can't train volunteers to answer gardening questions, um, but people loved it. And uh, the, so the first class was trained in uh, King County and it was Pierce, Pier, Pierce and King Counties in 1973. 
And then in 1974, the, the next spring, the Spokane County agent said, wait, I'm overworked too. So he or she, uh, he, I think, started or brought the program here. And so the Master Gardeners in Spokane have been here since 1974. And our idea, the idea is, or our mission statement is that Master Gardeners are university-trained volunteers who are um, sustaining diverse communities. And I'm cheating, I'm looking at my notes <laughs> for our mission statement. University-trained volunteers educated um, to sustain diverse communities with relevant, unbiased, and research-based information in horticulture and environmental stewardship. So the idea is that master gardeners go out and we teach people how to grow plant, grow plants, uh, or how to landscape their yard, or how to be um, good environmental stewards. And we we don't necessarily do the hands-on work, so we don't build gardens and we don't plant plants very often, but we do um, teach people how to do it. Mm. The, so the master gardener program was started in 1973 in over in King and. Pierce County is that was it that is sorry excuse me it's that's a word that's been thrown around a lot here like but that's where it originated like yeah so and and I almost my cougar card could be taken away for not bragging (laughs) enough so that was the origin of the master gardener program in the United States so uh yeah 1973 those two, those two agents started it, and then from there, it has spread around the country, and I think all 50 states have Master Gardener programs now. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's yeah. amazing. Like, I, that, that's why I wanted to ask, because it seems like we've, it's probably been mentioned dozens of times on our, on our podcast, and I was like, that's cool. Like, yeah, no, yeah. that's a that's a that's a point of pride for for WSU that they started the program, and and from there, it also expanded into Canada. And, um, and then in 2012, there was a, a, a convention of Master Gardener coordinators here in Spokane, and there was a delegation from South Korea that came. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. And they were really excited about it because South Korea, the cities have grown so fast that they haven't, there isn't a lot of green space in the cities. It's a lot of sprawl. And they thought this was a way that they could help connect residents of, of large cities in Korea with, with nature which a lot of people are, are missing. And so they started their program in 2012 and they showed us some pictures of some of their extension offices or, or what would be the equivalent of extension offices. And it made me want to move to South Korea because it looked like the bridge of the enterprise. It was <laughs> computers and, and things everywhere. And uh, our office doesn't look quite like that. <laughs> wow, that's a really, that's, really cool I had no idea I thought it was just I was like maybe it's trickled over to Oregon and Idaho a little bit but I had no idea it was like countrywide so yeah um so obviously um starting in 1973 gardening I'm sure has evolved a little bit (laughs) since then um and some of the practices and concepts that have been used what are what would you say are some of the priorities right now for the master gardeners program so, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so we actually, uh, the, the coordinators here in Washington did a survey of the kinds of requests and the kinds of classes that, that we're getting most often so that we could identify where is it that we really need to beef up and, and, and go. And so we came up with a list of 10 areas that are, are really um, 
expanding, but some of the ones that are really hot or ones that, uh, that we want to pursue more are local food. Uh, and I know uh, Pat Muntz was on the podcast yeah. and she talked a lot about food systems. And so for master gardeners, educating homeowners so that they have a better sense of how they can grow some just in their backyard, they can supplement their, their diet with homegrown produce and, um, and, and plug into that food system. So maybe I can't grow it in my backyard, but my neighbor can, or Mm -hmm. maybe I can be part of a farmer's market or, you know, something along those lines. And so local food is a big one for us in Eastern Washington, especially uh, water conservation is another one that Mm -hmm. we're really, uh, we do a lot with, or we, and we're trying to do more with. um, And it's something that as the population gets bigger, we really need to think about, we only have a, a limited amount of water that we need to share with all of us. And so where are some ways that we can can reduce our water usage where you know maybe it makes sense to cut down a little bit. So mm-hmm. we do work with trying to encourage people to limit how much um, how much water they use in their landscape. And can they, um, we were throwing around the word xeriscape before we started mm-hmm. today. So xeriscaping is, mm-hmm. is um, something that we encourage a lot. Um, I'm just wondering also, just in your own opinion, what has been um, some of the most fascinating concepts and practices that have come to life since you've been working at the extension or some, some things that you really are, those are hot topics for you. So I'm, um, I'm a little bit biased, so I'm a tree guy. Um, And I, I, before I started working full-time at extension, I was an arborist. And so just the different practices around trees and how those have, have changed and they haven't necessarily changed in the, in the wider world, um, but how we've started to understand them or, or how we are trying to teach people about them here in Eastern Washington has changed. And so an example for me, um, it really opened my eyes when I learned that when people plant trees, there's sort of an epidemic of people planting them too low in the ground. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so their root systems get buried. And then I didn't know this for a while, but um, roots need oxygen. And so when the roots are too low in the ground, they don't have enough oxygen. And who knew there was even oxygen in the ground? But, um, but there is. And so we have this epidemic of trees that have been planted too low and then they don't really establish. They kind of struggle along for years and years and, and they can have lots of different issues as a result of that. And it's, so for me, it's a little crazy to think that something that happens like in one afternoon determines the whole course of this tree's Mm. life. Wow. And so that's something that um, I didn't know before I came to extension. And um, now it, it's something that I include in a lot of my talks because it seems it, there's it there's a lot of it everywhere. <laughs> but, so, oh, go ahead. Oh no, go for it. I was just thinking that some other things. So when I started at Extension, a lot of the emphasis was on ornamental horticulture and growing mm. flowers, and um, and now it really has shifted to growing food. Um, the the interest and in, from the community is really heavily more. It, it, uh, slanted or tilted to how can I grow vegetables in my backyard? Can I grow a fruit tree in my backyard? And, and I think that's really fascinating. And I, I love that, that people are interested in that because it, you know, we want to be connected to where our food comes from. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can grow something in my backyard, that's gonna, that, that I get to eat. Um, I just think that's, 
that's just going to make it healthier for, for people who to connect to their food like that. And we have we do a little bit of work with kids who uh, a lot of them don't really connect. Wait, I'm eating a plant. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they see it in the store and it comes maybe wrapped in plastic. Um, but then every time we work with kids in schools, uh, and hopefully we will again soon, um, we have them plant seeds to take home in a little pot and mm-hmm. so they can watch that grow. And um, they really get excited about just connecting on that level with, wow, I planted this and now this thing is happening and, you know, and I can plant it outside or I can put it in the window for a while. And um, so I think that kind of connection is something that uh, to food, but also to nature is something that really benefits us. Definitely. And what a hot topic this year, um, you know, food security and growing your own food, especially with the pandemic that happened. So yeah, definitely has been a hot topic this year. So um, I know that the Master Gardeners, um, like we mentioned, has lots of volunteers. Um, and how has COVID kind of shifted? How were you guys able to maneuver working with those volunteers this year? That was uh, that has been a trick because our, our volunteers tend to skew a little bit older. A lot of them are retired, certainly not all of them, but um, a lot of the, the people who have time to volunteer are, are ones who, who may have retired. And so our number one priority is keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. So it really limited what we could do or what our volunteers could do because they're so excited to, to go out and work that some of them will maybe work even when maybe it's not safe to, to go out and, and be in public. And um, so... Uh, it's a happy problem to have, right? To have people who are so excited to work that <laughs> they just, no, let me at them. But we have had to pivot to a lot of uh, use of technology. So instead of coming in and staffing a plant clinic in our office, we have one or two people who will, who will work in the plant clinic and then they send questions out to people at home and they can do research at home and, and come up with answers and then, then we can get them back to the clients and um, it's, I know that our, our volunteers are, are really champing at the bit to get, you know, when we went into phase two last week, uh, mm-hmm. they were like, okay, so we're coming back, right? <laughs> and oh, not, not quite yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, soon, soon. But they are uh, really excited to, to participate or to get back to work. But I, I think the, the biggest thing that we've done is to try and pivot to technology and then um, teach some of our volunteers how to be really comfortable. Like, so how can I give a class on Zoom where I'm, I'm used to making eye contact and hearing people ask questions and Zoom is a little bit, it's harder to do it that way. And mm-hmm. so, um, but they've adapted really well and um, I'm, I'm really proud to get to work with them. So if anybody was interested in um, joining the Master Gardeners program or wanted mm-hmm. to become a volunteer, how would they go about doing that? So we try to train every year this year, uh, and we train usually during the winter. So normally we would be training at this time of year. All our plans are set to, to resume training in 2022. So if people are interested in it, um, they can go to our website. Or uh, If you Google Spokane Master Gardeners, you'll find your way there. And then starting in April, we'll, we'll start uh, taking applications to join the, the class of 2022. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, the, the application period is April through October. And then we go through and we try to meet people and, and talk with them and, and make sure they understand what the program is about. Some people think it's mostly about uh, taking a class 
uh, and they don't always know that it's a volunteer program. And so if people are just interested in the classes, we have classes that you can take part of the class and not become a master gardener and not have to be a volunteer, but you still get the education. But then if, you're, if people are really interested in becoming a master gardener, then there's a series of steps that they go through. We interview them and, and uh, uh, invite them to join the class. And then they go through a 12 to 13 week training. And then, uh, and then they have a year, actually they have two years now, to, uh, to do some volunteer time to certify as a master gardener. And so it takes about a year for most people to do it. And sometimes, especially if you're working full time, it might take a little bit longer to do it. But we have a two year program for people who who don't have all the free time that that folks who are retired have. And and some of our hardest working master gardeners are ones who work full time because they really have to schedule their time. And so they uh, they are they are really organized people. What are the requirements of a master becoming a master gardener? So. <clears throat> there's the uh, there's the training that I mentioned earlier. So you uh, go through some some in person training here mm-hmm. in Spokane. There's also an online training that you do, and and anyone who is going to become a WSU Master Gardener takes that online training, and they have to pass a series of quizzes, and that's where people start to 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 panic a little bit. But all the quizzes are open book, open note, and then uh, and you have to pass with a, a an average score of eighty percent. And then you have to pass a final exam that's also open book and open note, mm-hmm. uh, 80%. And then you have to uh, give 40 hours of volunteer time to the program. And about half of that is done in our plant clinic, and the other half you you get to choose. So typically, like, these people are very, they have a high acumen for gardening, and they have a green thumb, and or, or is it people that just want to be learn more about gardening. So it's both. Okay. So there are there are some people who've been gardening for 50 years and they've retired and they've they've been wanting to do this. Some mm. of them say for you know, for 10 years I've wanting to been wanting to do this. Other people join and they're looking more for like community involvement and they may not have a lot of gardening skill when they start but they're learning along the way mm. and and they have other skills that um like they're just really excited to share what they've learned with people. And that always goes a long way because it's, I think it's more fun to learn from somebody who's excited about gardening than it is, you know, I could be a professor and, and, um, and people tell me I have sometimes droned on and on and I get a lot of facts out there, but people are just like, well, what does that all mean? <laughs> Instead, if somebody who's it, uh, we use kind of a, a peer-to-peer model. So if someone just comes and tells you, let me tell you about these carrots that I grew, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's more fun to learn about than, than me who starts with, you know, as, as the earth formed. And <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and speaking of great learning opportunities, um, the Master Gardeners has an annual event that's coming up called Cabin Fever. So I want to yes. give you the opportunity to talk about that coming up. So this one, this uh, we're excited because uh, so normally cabin fever is an in-person event, and uh, and it started. It was uh, my predecessor Penny Simonson. It was her brainchild, and she thought, you know, in mid-February, aren't we all just so sick of winter, and <laughs> yes. we just want to start talk about talking about gardening? And there's only so many times you can go through all the seed catalogs and fold down the pages of of what you what you want to grow couldn't we all get together and talk about, yeah, I'll get together and talk about it. And so she started Cabin Fever as an in-person event, and it really sort of took off. And this uh, last year, it was scheduled to happen just as everything closed down, so we canceled it. 
but uh, because our volunteers are really adaptable, they learned how to how to do an online uh, cabin fever. And what's cool this year? So normally we have two or three sets of classes, and you have to choose. You know, we, um, you can choose maybe four classes, but there are two or three different sets this year. Uh, we've staggered them so you can go to all of them if you want. And, and I think that's a great thing. Um, we've reduced the price, too, because it's online and we don't get to get together. But um, you can go to as many of the classes as you want. And they're online and we, we do them after working hours because a lot of people work. And so we want them to be able to, to go to those classes live. Or um, if you aren't able to make some of the classes that you're really excited about, we're also recording most of them, not all of them, but most of them. And so if you can't make one because something comes up, you'll still, you'll get a link to be able to attend it later and, and they'll be available for a month after the, after the event ends. And so, um, so I don't know, I'm really excited about doing it this way and I don't know what will happen next year. I know everybody really misses getting together, but this is an opportunity for people to attend that maybe couldn't otherwise. In fact, we yeah. have some people who've signed up. Um, I saw someone had signed up who's living in Maryland and a couple from Utah. Oh, and I cool. thought, that's fantastic. Yeah. We're getting the word out. So, yeah. Well, and it is great too, those options with the virtual platform is that you do get to go back and you can review even if you are there live and you're like, oh shoot, I can't remember that. So yeah, I mean, I know some people might be suffering from some virtual fatigue, but there are some benefits. Mm. And so that's really cool that you guys are doing it that way. Um, so what would you say are some of the highlights of this year's um, so, event? Yeah, uh, we're excited about our, our, our keynote speaker is Karen Chapman, and she's an award-winning garden designer from the West Side. And her, her strength is really in um, how can I design or how can I change my landscape so that it's functional for me and how can I work with the environment that I have? So I, I want it to be beautiful, but also... Um, you know, there's that idea that a lot of us have that it needs to, our garden needs to look like it does in a magazine, you know, all the time. And even the gardens in magazines don't look like that all year. And so, how can we have gardens that serve that serve us and and our, um, recognize the environment that we live in? And so, she's really um, she's going to talk about that. She's actually giving two classes. She's giving the keynote, which is February 24th. And then at the end of the conference, she's going to talk about gardening in deer country uh, without fences, because oh. anybody who's gardened in deer <laughs> country, normally even the master gardeners, we say, well, okay, how tall a fence can you build? Yeah. It, and it, maybe it needs to go underground, because I swear those suckers burrow sometimes. <laughs> and um, but, uh, but Karen talks about using plant choices and... and um, and just different ways of designing your landscape to to be more deer resistant, not deer immune, because I'm convinced deer will try anything once. And <laughs> another another thing that we tell people, so we have a list of plants that deer don't eat, and then we have to tell them the deer don't read the list. So sometimes <laughs> they will try some of the things on this list. And, and we hope that most of these plants are, are going to be safe in your garden. But we're excited about having Karen Chapman. She, I should say, so we're not able to tape her. Um, so if you want to hear her, attend live. But most of the rest of the classes will be, will be taped and available later. But we just are excited about, well, so we have three different tracts at, tracks of, of classes. And one of them is design, kind of inspired by Karen. 
And then another one is um, just horticulture. What's new? What's hot? What should you grow this year um, or any year? And then our third one is pruning because we always have lots of pruning questions for people or from people. And so we have different people who are going to talk about pruning trees, pruning shrubs. How do I uh, pruning roses? We have a, a consulting rosarian who's going to talk and Pruning roses is a, a special thing that he, I'm an arborist. I do a lot of pruning. And sometimes when I look at somebody who says, can you prune this rose? I have to think twice and, and steal myself because they're a little bit different than other plants. But, but anyway, we're excited about it. Awesome. Very cool. And so um, what, what is the date? So the, the first date, um, so it's going to be ongoing. And the first date is February 24th. And that's Karen Chapman. That's when she's going to give her keynotes uh, address. And then it'll be on uh, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays for the next three weeks after that. And awesome. so um, each so each week will have its own theme. So I think the first week is horticulture. And so on Mondays and Wednesday, there will be uh, two classes back-to-back on each of those days. And then on Friday night, there'll be a virtual chat where everybody can get together and the, uh, I, and the uh, speakers will be there to answer questions. And then, uh, then the next week, we'll repeat that with a different theme. And then I think it goes through March 19th is the last one. And then after that, then you'll get your links to where the recordings are so that you can go back and revisit those and uh, and uh, and if you missed anything or um, want to hear something again, you can listen. And, and I think it goes on for a month. The recordings are saved for a month after that. And fingers crossed we'll be able to get out in our yards by the end of all of that <laughs> <laughs> programming. <Right. laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so um, what is the cost associated? And then how would someone go about signing up for Cap and Fever? So the uh, the cost, it's $50. And um, you can go to the, the website. So this is a fundraiser event run through our foundation. We have a partner organization that, that raises funds to keep our program going. And we're really grateful to them. It's the Master Gardener Foundation of Spokane County. And so if you take that acronym, mgfsc.org, um, you, can, you can go to that website and then Cabin Fever is right there. And it, it will take you through the process of signing up. Awesome. That sounds like a great resource for anybody who is ready to get outside and get gardening or interested in horticulture. Absolutely. I love that um, subject about the deer. That just <laughs> right. That... So good. <laughs> so, um, what other trainings or other educational resources does the um, Urban Horticulture Department facilitate? So, right now, something, um, and we're we're uh, lining this up so it doesn't conflict with cabin fever. But a lot of people are really excited about growing food at home. And so we're putting on on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, and I'm going to check my dates here just to be be sure. So um, we've already started, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, through fe- the end of February, March, and into April, we're going to have just short one-hour classes that people can take on specific topics around growing food at home because that's a huge topic and we couldn't cover it all in one day, even if we wanted to, and no one could stand through a 24-hour Zoom. That would just <laughs> be cruel and unusual punishment. But but for an hour um, each Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to have short classes. They're only $5, and you can just pick and choose with the ones that you want to take. And they're going to they're, they'll have um, short or, or more self-contained topics. So if you've... Um, 
if you're interested in growing blueberries, we have a class on growing blueberries because who doesn't love blueberries, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, we have another one on flower gardening, so growing annuals. A lot of people are really interested in, in pollinators and planting for pollinators. And so annual flowers are, are ones that we can plant that season long are available for pollinators. Uh, we also have a, a plant or a class on growing perennials. Um, so if you're really interested in flowers, we have that. But a lot of our, our classes are focused on growing vegetables and fruit crops. And so you can go online to, if you Google um, WSU Spokane Master Gardeners, there's a whole list of classes on our website. And um, you can pick and choose the ones that might interest you. We also have, for anybody who's interested, uh, once a month, the last Monday of the month is usually when it is, uh, we have a book club. And if you're interested in reading books that are, most of these are aligned with local food or issues around um, growing food at home or um, food systems or how we can connect better with nature, um, we have what's called the Food for Thought Book Club, and you can connect with them. And then right now we're meeting via Zoom, and so you can stay in the in the privacy of your own home, maybe have a, a the uh, beverage of your choice, but also <laughs> join people and kind of talk about some of these issues and and how we how we how we connect to to food and where does food come from. And um, so anyway, we have a series that uh, goes through. I think it goes through November it just meets once a month and it's uh, we don't we don't have tests we don't have certifications it's just uh, reading books for fun and talking about it with other people who are interested so you can also go to our website and find the food for thought book club and mm. and learn more about that and uh, and, and and it's exciting because um, I thought well we teach these classes and we're always pushing these education and then there were some people this is volunteer led and there were people who were like but I'm not getting enough I want more and I'm like, <laughs> okay <laughs> well book club it is then <laughs> I, I, that's that's wonderful but um, I, uh, I I was just kind of surprised that you know we ask so much of our volunteers and they're like yeah okay okay but what about more and yeah. okay all right <laughs> People are people are are bored right now. They wanna they want as much. They wanna get in. They want the human interaction. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah I think you're. I think you're right. And um, and I. It, so our our next one is. I think it's March 29th. And if I remember correctly, but check the website because I could be wrong. I think the book is called The Urban Food Revolution, and um, uh, you can check the website. And uh, find out you, the the list. So they've already determined the list of books for the year, and so you can you can choose the ones that are more interesting to you, and and just attend those if you want. And um, anyway, I recommend it because um, who knew that people weren't going to get enough from us just yammering on about how how deep to plant your seeds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it just seems like such a great hub for like minded people who you know love it, love the subject, want to learn more. Um, no, I think that's awesome. Um, so besides like trainings and educational resources, um, does the extension offer any type of technical assistance for Spokane County residents? So we do offer a free plant clinic. And so what, uh, normally we would do that in person. Of course, we're locked down for a little while yet, but we hope to be back in person. The plant clinic is at our extension office, but you can, you can email us, you can send us photos, you can call us. 
Um, and when we reopen, you can bring samples into our into our clinic. It's free for everyone, and the idea is that you can you can contact us with any gardening question. And uh, the the limits are if it's commercial, we'll have to refer it to someone else, but we'll find somebody to refer it to. But if it's uh, something that you see in your yard that doesn't look right, or maybe you're really curious about something you uh, you were on a walk and you saw something blooming and you want to know, is that a weed or is that a wildflower? You can take a picture and we'll try and identify it for you. So it's if you're having problems in your yard or you just want to know more about growing something, if you want, if you want to start uh, reducing how much water you use and you want to start um, changing some of your landscape to drought tolerant plants, then uh, we can help you. We can give you a list of plants and and some places to to look where um, uh, where there's already some drought tolerant gardens that you could look at. So um, it's just about if you want to know more about gardening. We'll try and find an answer for you. Very cool. So um, who are some of like the local partners that you guys work with throughout the year? Um, so we're really lucky. We have a lot of a lot of partners. Extension is all about partnerships. In fact, it was built, and somebody else I'm sure has probably already said this, but Extension itself is a partnership between the, the land-grant university, WSU, and the individual counties. So we have a partnership with Spokane County, and we also partner with uh, some of our programs come are federally funded. So they, we get some federal dollars as well. So we start by partnering. And then our department, the Urban Horticulture Group, we partner with, uh, so our Master Gardener Foundation is our, is our big fundraising organization. But in the community, we try and partner wherever we can with people who are who have sort of similar objectives. And so the conservation district is a big partner of ours. Um, and we especially, we, uh, we trade experts back and forth. So I know uh, Garth Davis, the forester at SCD has come over and taught uh, classes to our master gardeners. And um, I sometimes teach diagnosing classes to, to people who want to uh, have backyard wildlife sanctuaries in, uh, through the district. So we, are, uh, we trade a lot. Of, of expertise that way. We're also, uh, we do a lot with Spokane Community College because they have a horticulture program. So their instructors will come and teach classes for us. I sometimes teach classes at the community college um, in arboriculture. And so we, we partner, with that, uh, partner with them a lot. And then uh, we try as much as we can to partner with um, anybody who is who has a similar agenda. And so an example would be the Spokane, the city of Spokane water stewardship program. Um, we are are trying. We work with them to try and encourage people to reduce how much water they use. And so, where they're they're um, giving people in the city incentives to take maybe take some of their lawn out and put in drought tolerant plants. We'll help educate people and and teach them about what kind of plants might work well there or or drip irrigation versus the like the big um, sprinkler lawn sprinklers that a lot of people use. Um, lawn sprinklers aren't as efficient as drip irrigation, so we can help you reduce your water footprint or your water use that way. Um, we also work with uh, the City of Spokane Urban Forestry Group, and we've had master gardeners who are part of the Citizens Tree or Citizens Advisory Committee to 
urban forestry. So teaching people how to take care of their trees, that's a, a really nice alignment between Master Gardeners and, and the city of Spokane because they have a goal of 40% canopy coverage by 2030 over the city. And so we want to help people plant trees that are going to live, that are going to um, going to be sustainable in the in the long run. So um, I would I would like to think that we're open to any sort of partnership that comes along. I know that uh, we have limits. We you know like we can't endorse a commercial enterprise, and that sometimes is um, has slowed us down. But if there's a way that we can partner with people, we try to do it because I think we all um, we all want to be more sustainable. We all want to take care of, even if it's just our, our city lot, we all want to do it in a way that's environmentally friendly and, and also serves us and helps us feel more at home. Mm-hmm. So um, what are some of, or what are some of your favorite basic concepts and practices that can help um, gardeners and landowners maintain their natural resources? So one of the things that and I wish I had made this up, but I didn't. <laughs> if the only time you walk on your lawn is when you're mowing it, maybe you don't need that much lawn. So mm. it's okay to, I mean, we. I grew up with this idea that everybody has to have sort of a Kelly green lawn in their front yard and, and, um, and it's beautiful. There's, I certainly wouldn't deny that, but as we have more and more people moving into our area and we have the same amount of water that's available, it's okay to think about save some lawn where you're going to, where you want to be outside. Or if you have kids who want to go outside and play on the lawn, absolutely have lawn. But if there are some areas that you hardly ever go, maybe you don't need lawn there. Maybe there are some other things that you could do with that part of your property. And so um, think about a landscape that functions for you and one that you that you want to take care of. So if if uh, you uh, think that you should have, uh, let's see, I just said a Kelly Green lawn, or you should have a big lush garden, but you just don't have time to take care of it, well, gosh, don't take on something that, don't set yourself up for failure. So landscape in a way that makes sense for you, um, and then use things like native plants where, where it's appropriate. So these are plants that are adapted to, to our environment all, already, and they're ones that can help feed like pollinators or, or that wildlife can, can make into homes. And so you don't, have to, um, you don't have to have a garden that looks like it should be on a magazine cover. You should have a landscape that works for you. And if there are ways that you can reduce how much water you use and reduce like your fertilizer use or... Um, eliminate pesticides, that's only going to help in the long run, not just you, but but people around you. And so um, I guess I, I could probably talk and I might have been talking for days about how, you know, we, <laughs> we really we can we can do a lot working with nature. You, um, you don't have to work against it. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you have an area that you just I really, you know, I really enjoy my green lawn space and I want to go out and um, or I, or I want my kids to play out there. Absolutely, you should have that, but don't feel like you have to uh, conform to a, a model that you know is maybe a little bit out of date now. Mm-hmm. That's some really good advice. <laughs> but I'm kind of one of those that, yeah, feels like I need that Kelly Green lawn, but <laughs> I know that 
like you said, work with nature, not against it. <laughs> and maybe, I mean, so I'm as, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm thinking about peer pressure and, um, you know, my neighbor's giving me kind of the side eye yes, when I'm not. Exactly. So maybe your lawn is in the front yard where everybody can see it, but maybe in the backyard, you know, you take out some of the green area and... Um, I, I tried to be tricky about it. My neighbors saw right through me, but I started expanding the mulch rings around my trees because I thought, oh, the grass doesn't really grow there that well anyway. And mm. so I'll just put some some bark mulch down there, some wood chips, and then and I'll keep it kind of edged so it'll look like I, I'm meant to do it that way. And, and the tree will be happy. The grass will be happy. And then I started expanding from there. But some of them, I, I did catch some some side glances when, you know. <laughs> Once the tree ring is like half the yard, they, they kind of see right through you. <laughs> I decided I'm just going to plant trees all around the perimeter of my yard. So then it's just a privacy screen and they just can't see what's going on back there anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you go. just, I mean, it, it, anything, you could have a secret garden in there that yeah. who knows what's going on. And, and, <laughs> and you have a little bit of privacy too. So yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, so Tim, what, what's on the horizon for the urban horticulture department? So I think, um, we want to, uh, a few things that, that we really feel strongly about are, so we need to really expand, um, our ability to help people with local foods, growing some food at home. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that has, it's, it's sort of ongoing, but I just see it getting bigger. Another thing is, um, working more, so I think more people are interested in how their little space there, and I shouldn't say little, in some cases it's pretty big, but how their landscape fits into the larger picture. And so things like planting for pollinators and how I can reduce my water usage and how I can, um, how I can connect with nature. And this is something, oh my gosh, this is something we haven't talked about, but there are so many studies that talk about how how many ways people benefit by connecting with nature. And it could be in recovering from um, health issues more quickly, or it could be economically, you know, you have a mature tree in your front yard and your house is likely, likely to sell for a higher price than a similar house, you know, in the same area without a tree. Um, so there's, we all kind of want that connection. Um, people who live in areas near parks. So even if you're in an apartment, if you have access to a park, um, people have general, in general, better, um, better levels of health if they have that, that natural connection. So I think that's a whole area that um, I'm excited for us to expand into. And it's, it's, um, there isn't, there's a lot that's going on, but it isn't well known. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, one of the, groups that we have it's a group of master gardeners who work with people in assisted living mm. and helping them adapt their style of gardening to their circumstances and so maybe I have back issues and I can't bend down as far but if I build a raised bed that's high enough maybe I can I don't have to bend as far or if I want to plant seeds instead of getting down on my knees where maybe it's going to be hard to get back up there are some tools I can use that are pretty easy to make at home where I, I can stand up and I have a little pipe that sticks into the ground and I drop the seed in there and then I bury it with the, my little tool and so I don't have to get down on the ground. Um, so it, there are a lot of ways that people who are older benefit from still being able to connect with nature. And I know my grandmother, she, was, um, she got out in her garden until... Uh, 
uh, well until the last year that she was alive. And she noted herself that some of her friends who went into assisted living and didn't have access to gardening, they kind of physically, they kind of lost flexibility. They lost some of their ability to move around. And she felt like she had to get out and take care of her yard. And so, um, so she maintained that flexibility for a longer period of time than some of her, some of her um, friends did. So, uh, gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to go too long talking about that, but that's a really big issue that um, as a lot of our population is getting a little older, um, this is something that can really help them. And mm -hmm. there's, there's a whole field called therapeutic horticulture where mm. people are, will go out and, or will work with people in assisted living or not necessarily assisted living, maybe just senior housing, senior living, um, uh, communities and teach them about the advantages of, of gardening. Uh, so anyway, I'm excited about that too. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's a great thing to tap into real dirt therapy. Absolutely. Right yeah. Yes. That's, uh, it's something that you just kind of feel better when you get your hands in the hands in the dirt. And then this is a little counterintuitive. I was just thinking about the future of urban horticulture. The other side of this is technology. And so this year, um, WSU wanted to still be able to, to help teach people gardening. And so they started a, a Zoom home horticulture series back in January. And so we're, uh, we're working with people um, on Zoom webinars, teaching them how to garden and giving them access to some some of the, the folks at WSU that normally don't work with home gardeners, but we're, we're doing classes that way. And so I see that's um, long-term. Everybody is, is doing more online. And um, so we have, to, we have to teach people about nature, but we have to do it from behind a computer screen. I guess that's the, <laughs> yeah. the choice that's facing us. <laughs> yeah. um, so Tim, I would love to know what you love the most about working for um, the WSU Extension. Well, I, I might have already said it, um, <laughs> but uh, my coworkers come to work for free and they are just so great to work with. Um, and some of them, you know, when we had to tell people, well, so with the pandemic, we're shutting down and we can't do things. And they're like, well, I'll just work anyway. I don't care. And I, no, 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 you have to care. You have to take care of yourself. But people who are so excited to give of, of their time, their expertise, in some cases, their money to keep our program going, um, that just, you know, you can't beat that, right? That's just, uh, I feel really lucky to work with an amazing group of, of volunteers. And, uh, and I get to talk about gardening, right? So I love gardening. And I'm sure you can probably tell that uh, I will talk about gardening until... <laughs> Till the lights go out and people are pulling pillows out, but um, I just I get to do what I love. So that's uh, I love. That's probably those are the fa my favorite parts of my job, along with every other part of my job. Also, <laughs> my all favorite. Of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tim, this has been so great to learn more about um, the WSU Urban Horticulture Department, the Master Gardeners Program. Um, make sure that everybody checks out Cabin Fever and at yes. least checks into um, some of those classes that are going to be going on. Um, you guys also have a Facebook page for Master Gardeners as well too, right? We do. So the uh, Spokane Master Gardeners Facebook page, and um, we have some amazing volunteers who, who do great things with that page. I, I wish I could take credit for it, but they, they do it. So follow us on Facebook. We also have an Instagram page. We we're newer at that, but, um, uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and, um, and, uh, and garden, go out and garden. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> well, so Tim, at the end of our interviews, we like to do what we call a little bit of a spitfire round just to get to know you a little bit more. Let the viewers get to know you, our listeners get to know you a little bit more. Um, so are you up for it? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Let's get into it. Um, what is a food that you can't live without? Oh, chocolate. For sure. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And I, that might be a, a stereotype answer, but no, chocolate. Like, I, you know, I've even, uh, I, sh- should I admit this in public? I, <laughs> every now and then I just get so jonesing for chocolate. I've, I've had like, you know, the baker's chocolate, the unsweetened type. There's something about chocolate, even when it doesn't have sugar in it, that I no just think. No way, <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, uh, not very often, but you know. That is very cool. Um, we might have hit this earlier, but if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Oh, so in one way, I, I was born and raised in Spokane. I love Spokane. I love living here. If there was another place I could live, um, it would be in the gardening center of the universe, which for me is is Great Britain. And um, there's a, a show called the Hampton Court Palace show um, that happens in the summer. In, in Great Britain. And um, if I lived kind of near there, far enough away that I, I could be part of it, but uh, not so close that the crowds would trample my garden, I guess that would be my next my next <laughs> choice after Spokane. <laughs> Very nice. I'm a Spokane native too, and it's hard to leave here, man, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, are you an early riser or a night owl? I'm a night owl. I uh, And I worked for 10 years at a golf course where we had to start work at five in the morning. And my coworkers will tell you after 10 years, I never adapted. I would still come in every morning and I would sit in a corner, <laughs> in a dark corner, and people would say, are you okay, Tim? And I would kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'd moan or something and, and at least let them know I was alive. But I'm much more a night owl. Is there a TV series that you're watching right now or maybe addicted to a little bit right now? Um, there are like 20 TV <laughs> series that I'm addicted to. Um, uh, let's see. So I, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to narrow it down to one. So uh, a master gardener gave me a science fiction series that I've just only seen a couple episodes of called Haven. And, and it, I think mm. it might have been a Netflix series. I'm not sure. Sh- no. Because I have the DVD, so I'm not sure what, who created it, but just uh, so science fiction is one that's a is a favorite of mine, um, and there is one. There aren't very many episodes, but um, if people like uh, superheroes at all, I'm I'm really um, Wandavision is a episodic uh, series that I just oh I I don't know I I get excited about that. I am a big superhero geek. That was. Uh, <laughs> When I was little, I gardened and I read comic books. And um, so anyway, there's probably some deep psychological thing people can tell from that. But anyway, WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving WandaVision too. It's so good right now. We won't give anything away. But no, no spoilers. You definitely, definitely got to watch it if you haven't seen it yet. Um, dogs or cats? So I'm allergic to both. I'm slightly more allergic to cats than dogs. And so I guess just from a health perspective, maybe dogs, but my uh, brother's family has both dogs and cats. And I don't, I don't think a person should have to choose. I think that (laughs) their, um, their cats have such strong personalities and they keep me in my place. And then uh, after the cats have, uh, have told me 
what to do, then the dogs come and comfort me. So I think it's just a perfect world where the, the cats tear me down and the dogs build me up. <laughs> love it. I love that. You said we shouldn't have to choose. I'm totally with that. <laughs> right. um, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would you choose? Ooh. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. And and there's like a long list, you know, people that I I, uh, I feel like I should say to sound cool. And <laughs> um, so there was a, a, a gardener in the 1920s in England. Her name was Vita Sackville West. And I uh, really loved some of that. She was kind of, um, she didn't really uh, stay in her place. She was very... So I'm kind of an introverted person and she was not. And she broke a bunch of gardening rules and she planted um, red and purple flowers together. And the gardening world was, <gasps> you know, red and purple together. And, uh, <laughs> and anyway, so she and she lived kind of uh, a, a larger than life life. So maybe her um, or a second choice. And this is another English person, a man named John Evelyn who um, he wrote this book about trees in 1664. And he talked about um, people needing to do things differently. And we still are, we, we didn't listen to him. We're still doing some of the same things wrong that he told us about in 1664. So I just like to meet him. It's, How did you know? And I guess that those would be my two that's my favorite question to ask because I always go back and I have to research, you know, because everybody has so such great answers for mm -hmm. that one. Okay, a couple more and then I'll let you off the hook. Okay. Um, what was the first car you ever drove? The first car I ever drove was a 1964 Plymouth Valiant. <laughs> and uh, it was... It was 20 years old when I, when I drove it. So I was driving it in the 80s and it had... Um, I, what I loved about it was that it was uh, it was a good car for a person who hadn't driven before uh, to learn because it wasn't it wasn't sensitive at all. It was just uh, it was just very tough, and so um, that was great. But on the downside, so it it, it was older, and the uh, floor in the back seat that had rusted out, and so the people who rode in the back had to brace their feet against the door jam and then the the, the center of it. And in the snow, sometimes snow would come up through the, the back. And, oh, my and gosh. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> it, was, awesome. it was more of a fair weather car and occasionally, like, also in the snow. So I didn't, I never had to drive the, the gang in the snow because nobody wanted to sit in the back seat and get snow up in their face in the middle of winter, right? Yeah. Um, and also people were afraid they would forget and they would put their feet down on the floor. And, and there were floor mats there, but... That not anyway uh, occasionally we i would take a corner too fast in the in the winter and one of the doors would be frozen and it would just open um, as we were going around the corner and so it was really good everybody always wore their seat belts in my car because they didn't want to be thrown out of the, <laughs> the moving vehicle <laughs> so it was a good car, you know, because as teenagers, we were always, you know, we had this, oh, seat belts, whatever, or, um, you know, we're just going to do what we're going to do. But in that car, boy, you you didn't, it didn't last very long. The, like, oh, I'm not going to wear seat belts because, uh, boy, in the winter, you might, that you might really regret that. So. <laughs> That's one way of getting out of the carpool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Absolutely. 
All right. And final question. I'm bringing it back from season one. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh. So, okay. I, I already sort of said this, but I, I don't feel like we should have to choose because we live <laughs> in a world with where both exist, right? Um, and, and I don't want to cheat the question, right? I guess if it came down to it, I would maybe choose the Beatles, and that's because, and, and that's mostly uh, family, right? So I, I heard more from the Beatles uh, from my parents. So that was my parents' generation, and I heard the Beatles more often growing up than I did the Rolling Stones. Uh, so I don't know if that's a really good reason to choose the Beatles, but uh, it just, in my heart, it makes me think of my parents and safety and... Mm-hmm. Mm. And good things. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, Tim, you have been so much fun to have on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Um, everybody, make sure that you check out the Urban Horticulture Department at the WSU Extension for all your local fo- food growing needs, landscaping needs, reducing water usage, and more. Also, make sure that you um, look into the Master Gardeners Foundation and check out their upcoming event, Cabin Fever, that was happening later this month. Thank you, Tim. Thank you both very much. I had a lot of fun being here today. It was great. Yeah. Thank you. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.